Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, welcome back to the Out of Spec podcast. We have with us Tom Malogny, and I, of course, joined by Kyle. And uh, Tom runs the State of Charge YouTube channel. You may have seen him on the Inside EVs podcast as well. And it's his birthday as the, of recording this. So happy birthday, Tom. And thank you for joining us uh, on this you know, special guest episode of the Out of Spec podcast. Um, we love to bring on other people in the industry and talk about a, what you do, but also some of your background. Maybe you know you may have constant viewers and listeners of your own stuff, but they don't always know where you even come from or what it, where it started. And some people love the origin stories. So mm-hmm. I was wondering if we could maybe start with a brief overview of where did you come from? And I, Kyle's mentioned to me the, some history with pizza and how has that become <laughs> state of charge? <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting uh, journey that I've taken to get to where I am today. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of one of the the uh, OGs back in the day when electric vehicles really weren't out there. But I noticed you guys had John Volker on recently, and he's definitely an OG. So, uh, but yeah, um, I owned a restaurant in New Jersey uh, for, I started it when I was in college, actually. It was a really successful uh, restaurant. And I was always interested in uh, alternative fuel vehicles, compressed natural gas, hydrogen, electric, like anything that was alternative fuel. And, um, you know, I always, I think the initial driving force was not environmental reasons. It was to reduce our dependence on foreign oil. And that was kind of like something that was always like a splinter that, you know, always bothered me. Every time I filled up, it was like, you know, some of this money's going to places that, you know, aren't really friendly to the U S and hate us and maybe even tried to kill us at one point, you know, back in uh, the early, uh, you know, uh, down in the 2001, you know, I mean, some of the some of the money that funded that terrible terrorist attack was was oil money. I mean, that's been proven. Um, and I think that was the driving force for me. And I, I just started doing research and there was nothing available. We're talking 2004, 2005, 2006. There's nothing out there. I, I even almost bought this one company was making this 
Um, <laughs> this big, it, it looked like a porta john. Okay, imagine a big plastic porta john, and you could make your own ethanol on your at your house, and it was like a gas pump. And um, I was going to buy this thing and put it in my driveway and make my own fuel. And you had to buy pallets of sugar. Sugar was the, the feedstock for this thing. And uh, so I, I was <laughs> I, I was actually going to buy this thing. And it looked just like a portageon, a big plastic thing the size of that. You filled the back with sugar. And like every, you know, three or four days, it would fill a tank of gas. And um, and that 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 never came to fruition. The company never actually made it. But uh, I, I actually filled out an application online. I found this application in 2000, late 2007 or 2008. And it said, do you want to drive an electric car? And uh, it was BMW had these uh, applications out because they were going to do a pilot program with these electric Mini Coopers that were called the Mini E. So I was actually at work in my office and I saw this. I'm, hmm, this is interesting. Yeah, I'd like to do this. And it was like, it was $900, $850 a month lease. For a Mini Cooper, at the time, you could lease one for $1.99 a month with no money down. And I was paying $8.50 a month for a year to, to, to lease this electric Mini Cooper. So I filled out the application. There's a really cool story about that. It was an online application. It took like 45 minutes to fill out. There was like dozens of questions. And at the very end, the screen goes blank. And then like five seconds later, it comes up and said, oops. Uh, you know, there was a problem, you know, processing your application. We're very sorry. You have to start over. So I sat there and I looked at the screen and, and this is important for me to explain this to, to you guys. And I'm staring at the screen and I'm like, do I want to do that again? The 45 friggin' minutes of questions, you know, and I'm, I'm getting angry, but I'm saying, yeah, you know what? I really think I want to do this. So I click re restart, you know, start over again. And as soon as I click start over again, it says, congratulations, um, you know, your application's been processed. Um, there was no problem. We just wanted to, and there were two options, um, you know, close this out or fill, the, fill out the application again. It said, we just wanted to make sure that we don't allow anybody in the program who doesn't have patience because there's going to be problems with, you're going to be a beta tester on brand new technology and there's going to be problems and you have to be patient if there's problems. So the fact that I, I, and I sat there and thought about it guys and, and I clicked, you know, do it over. And the reason why I'm emphasizing this is that was a pivotal point in my life. Wow. Now, you know, I, I literally, you know, that was the, the T in the road and I took a left. And it took me to where I am today. That's but, insane. What? Well, yeah. first of all, BMW yeah. typically isn't usually that, that charismatic and they're very by the book. That's really interesting that they put this little trick in their application. Yeah. And, and you know, I think it was run by the mini people, but um, because it was a mini, you know, so. Well, then I, the mini but, people make sense. because Exactly. Yeah, that's so many. You know yeah. what I mean? And um, but but you think about it and I tell people, you know, when, um, you know, what in life in general, be. be you have to pay attention to even small decisions you make because you don't know where that decision is going to take you, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. If I would have closed out of that, I would have never gotten my first electric car. And who knows the path of my, I might still be a restaurateur, you know, and, 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 you know, who knows, because that led to me getting the mini E. I loved it so much. I put solar on my roof. I started a blog. I started talking about living with an electric car and then things just snowballed. I started writing for John Volker, a green car reports uh, for plugincars.com. Uh, Inside EVs came later and 
things just snowballed. And then at one point I just, you know, sat down with my wife one day and said, I want to sell the restaurant and I want to do electric cars full time. Well, what you want to do? Well, I, uh, there's a lot of things I can do. I can consult, I can write, I can make videos. I don't know, but I want to be in this industry and, um, you know, give my wife credit. We, we, I sold the restaurant, which was a very lucrative, you know, steady paycheck. And I went into a field where I had no idea if I was ever going to really make enough money to, you know, even come close to what I made when I owned the restaurant. Now, luckily things have worked out and, um, you know, I have a lot of different coals on the fires and I do some consulting and I, you know, I, I train dealers how to sell electric cars. I'm a senior editor inside EVs. Now I got this YouTube thing going, which I never really thought I was going to do. And it's starting to take off. I'm closing in on 30,000 subscribers and in a year and in, in uh, almost two years now. So, you know, things are, things are working out, but that's, that's how I got to this Jordan. It was really an interesting, you know, path to get me here. That's fascinating. Um, and it's cool to see, you know, you kind of made a name for yourself, especially in um, talking about charging systems and home chargers. I mean, that's where I've heard your name thrown around a lot. And I had to throw it around yesterday to my friend. He's going to buy an EV6 in Green Bay. He found a dealer that would not do a markup. And he started looking on forums and, you know, just the basic Google search. And he's like, what do I do for a home? He's never had an EV. He's never driven an EV, um, which that nowadays that's still somewhat commonplace i think we're working towards that realm where people are like oh yeah i've been a tesla like they they all associate it to it in some way but it it's interesting to see how much learning there still is to be done and he's a pretty techie guy but it's just his tech focus he works for otterbox like it's it's all cell phones and stuff he never thought about electric cars so it, that that's a cool cool way to see the origin of that and um just the you know the home application i mean your passion for it led you to get solar right <laughs> yeah definitely and you know you talk about the you know people needing information on charging stations well i like educating and it's one of the reasons why i decided to do the dealership training um i've worked with over 300 dealers in the u.s at this point now um, and i visited close to a thousand dealerships in like eight different states and uh and i enjoy uh, education, uh, educating people on electric vehicles. It's part of one of the reasons why I've gravitated towards uh, home charging equipment, because it's one of the biggest questions and decisions people have to make uh, once they decide that they're going to get an electric car. Once they get an electric car, now what do I do? And, you know, I, I, I like the aspect of educating people on the difference. And, and there's a lot of differences in home charging equipment. A lot of people just, you know, some people just say, I just wanted to charge the car. Well, that's fine. Go out and buy whatever whatever you want. But there's so many different differences and nuances from product to product. Some are good for outdoor use. Some are better for indoor. You know, some, you know, have adjustable power. Some can power share. Some cables are better than others. And I love getting into the nitty gritty of explaining the difference so people can then make an educated decision. And that's why I have so many of these reviews on my YouTube channel. And I'm going to be launching actually this month. I have a, uh, a new website called evchargingstations.com, and I'm going to be bringing all my videos, my reviews on there and have links to purchase them and, and things like that. But I will say one thing that I'm really had to be mad. Kyle, I don't know if I mentioned this to you yet. Somebody ripped off my reviews. Somebody took all my video reviews of charging stations and started a website to sell charging stations with my reviews. Really? So, yeah. So I just had to hire an attorney. 
and uh, and we're going after them now. I think they're based in China, so it makes it very difficult to to get people to you know like because you can't really threaten that to sue them or anything like that. They're, you know, I can't sue them, but my attorneys send the cease and desist letters and and um, and doing all that stuff, and they basically took all my video reviews and they translated them into written. So what mm. I spoke on my video is is written. In, in on their reviews and they have all the stuff how they have the best ev charging station reviews on the internet i don't even want to give out the name because i don't want people giving them the clicks but it's a yeah. website dedicated just to selling electric car charging stations and they're using all my reviews that's crazy that's yeah. really insane yeah what are you going to do? I'll go after them. We'll, 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 we're going to contact Amazon because they have Amazon referral links and we're going to contact their domain, the, the domain provider and all that stuff. And, you know, we'll, 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 you know, the bottom line is I'll get it taken down, but it's going to cost me a few thousand dollars to do this. And it, it's like, really, I got to pay this money just, but you do, you have to protect your content. Yeah. So, I mean, from, from my side, I definitely want to talk about the early days of EVs, mini E, what that was like. Then you had I3, of course, that's how I met you back when I was a kid. I knew you with your yeah. I3 when you first got your, your first one. Uh, but let's Active talk a little E was about, in the middle. And Active yeah. E was in the middle. That's right. Yeah. And, but let's talk about charging stations just a little bit more uh, because to me, and I would consider myself more than knowledgeable than your average EV user, um, you know, EVSE or, or supply equipment at home has always been a very secondary thought. It did our come 14 D plus or, you know, cheapest thing on Amazon, but your reviews have really opened up uh, my world to different things. And one of the things I think is most interesting that I never thought of was your cable deep freeze stiffness test. And this is where you try and wrap the cable. Uh, you you elongate the cable, wrap it back up. These charging reviews sometimes are an hour long. I mean, they're really in depth. And I love that because I can put it on and I don't have to find another thing to watch after 10 minutes. I can really learn everything about this one component. And um, how did you come up with your testing criteria for something no one has ever tested before. Because with cars, it's easy. Range. Everyone's been doing range tests. We just do it better. Everyone's been doing acceleration tests. We just do it better. But no one has ever done charging station tests. So how'd you come up with these? So um, being that I've been uh, involved with electric vehicles since the beginning, since you know I got my first electric car in 2009. Um, so you know I've had years of talking to other early adopters about challenges with charging. You know, and, and some of the people that I've talked to um, that had volts uh, uh, that um, a couple of people that I could come to mind that had Chevy volts in 2010, they installed their chargers outside their house and they used to complain all the time. They're like in the morning, the thing is just a frozen rope. I, I unplugged the car and the whole cable just comes in one piece. I can't even bend it. So I'm like, yeah, well, like, you know, that that's that's really important for people that live in cold weather climates, the cable needs to remain pliable. It needs to be bendable no matter how cold it is. And we can do this. It's not hard. You know, it's, it's, you know, there, there's, there's rubbers and things that can be uh, rubber jackets rather than cheap plastic jackets that you could do. So that's why I started doing that. Now I just started two new tests where I'm dropping the connectors five times on the concrete floor. And then also I, I just bought a micrometer and I'm going to be measuring the the thickness of the cables too, and and talking about that because I always compare cables, but I don't tell people the exact thickness. But I'm going to start doing that in my reviews too, so they know exactly how thick all the cables are. 
That's cool. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because it's, it's hard for people to tell sometimes on video, especially with mm -hmm. home charging stations, because to a lot of people, they all look the same. Um, but I'm sure there's a lot that goes into that, especially with like certification levels. Like, you know, I come from an Apple background and I uh, had to talk to people a lot that came into Apple saying, hey, I, you know, my computer started smoking like what's the deal and i'm i pull they showed me their charger they bought from ebay from china for three dollars and i was like there's no certification at all on this thing yeah. it doesn't even say where it's made or anything it's just like and i could feel you can like feel the weight difference there's just like components missing from some of the knockoffs what do you see as far as people saying hey i need something cheap and just easy <laughs> yeah and and that's unfortunate that's the case it's like the amazon world now People go on Amazon and they'll search uh, electric car chargers, right? And there'll be a whole list of them. There's so many of them. And the thing is that if you're new to electric cars, you're new to the the brands. Like you don't know what NLX is or ChargePoint or, you know, United Chargers, you know. You, so to you, the name of an established electric vehicle charging station brand is no different than the name of a brand that just um, originated two months ago in China, you know, in a factory in China, they just came up with this new name. And that's what happens. We're getting, we're getting flooded with um, uh, low quality equipment from China. Now there's some good quality equipment come from there too. It depends on how it's being built, but the, you know, you see these really cheap EVSC, you know, $199 for a 40 amp plug-in unit. And I can tell you right now that thing's going to burn out. If you, if you use it frequently, it's going to burn out in like two years. And I get to, I won't say arguments, but every now and then when I go on a tirade talking about like, don't buy stuff that isn't safe to certify either ETL or UL buy quality equipment. You know what? Spend 50 bucks more. The thing will last 10 years. You, you, you're saving $50 and it burns out in two years. So I'll be talking to people on then. They'll be like, don't tell me that I bought this. There's one brand called must start and I call it must melt. And, um, and That's you know, great. so so <laughs> people buy them, and they're like, "Don't tell me I've had it for eight months. The thing works great." And then two months later, I'll get a private message. Message, you know, you were right. I came out this morning, and the plugs all melted. And you know, God, I could have had a fire. And that's one of the things you have to understand, guys. You're saving a few bucks. People charge their cars for many hours every day. And when do you charge? At night, when you are sleeping. When like the worst time that you could possibly have a fire or a problem in your house. And you know what? For 50 bucks more, you know, you're, you're putting your, your family's lives at risk. Don't buy cheap, uh, not safety certified equipment. And here's another way to look at if it's built well or not. If it doesn't have a three-year warranty, it's probably junk. Because if the company doesn't back it with a good warranty, then they're telling you right there, <laughs> This won't last three years. So there's some electric car chargers out there with 90-day warranties. So, you know, just don't buy that stuff. Buy something, do some research, buy a good quality piece of equipment, and it'll last you a long time. Yeah, you know, they say, get what you pay for. And it's not like going to Ikea or a cheaper place and being like, oh, get a cheap table and then replace it sooner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that's not the different, yeah, different levels of safety involved. Um, I did want to ask really quick, did you like is there any crossover from what you learned as a restauranteur into your job now because that that's genuinely like a switch in direction as far as uh occupation and I, i'm always curious with people who make these crazy switches which i think a lot of people make them and are very happy like you seem pretty happy with your life now um but did you see much crossover or like 
did things carry over or do you miss that a lot? So, you know, I miss dealing with the people. I like, I like interacting with people and it was good owning the restaurant. I was a very busy restaurant, hundreds of people a day. I had friends. I, you know, I knew all the local police officers and firemen and all that stuff. So that, that sense of community was really cool that I, that I had. Um, uh, and running a, I don't miss running a restaurant that was, you know, it's a tough biz and I did it for a long time, almost 30 years. And uh, so, you know, I don't miss running a restaurant, but you know, um, you ask, you know, what did you, is there anything you could bring over? And, um, one thing that I'll say, you know, to you guys, and, uh, it's funny, we talked about this earlier that the listeners don't know what was before we came on. These two guys ages added up, aren't as old as I am today. So it's close, but, uh, um, <laughs> so I've been around for a little bit longer. And one of the things I learned was if you don't take something from every job you've done, if you don't, if you aren't able to learn and then bring that to your next endeavor, even if it's a completely different endeavor, then you're not doing a good job. You're not paying attention. You're not learning and you should always be learning. So, you know, as, as owning a restaurant and starting it at such a young age, I was in college. I was 19 years old when I started a restaurant. I had, you know, a staff of people that were all older than me working for me. And um, one thing that I learned was listen to people. Um, that's really important. And I know it's easy to say, oh yeah, I listen to people. Well, no, you don't. Most people don't really listen to the people that you're talking to. And then you'll get a better understanding of where they're coming from and, and, and you can work together better. And and that matters if you're working at a restaurant or if I'm training a dealer, a, a salesperson, you know, or if I'm, you know, talking to people about electric car charging or even, you know, when I'm on these press drives and, and, and talking to the representatives from the companies, you know, yet you try to absorb what the other person across the table is really telling you. And you'll have a better understanding of, of where they're coming from. And then you'll under, you'll be able to do a better job working with them. And uh, so that's what I'll tell you. You know, I learned a lot about managing people, about having people working for me, about, you know, not getting, not being reactionary. You know, it's, it's the easiest thing is when, you know, an employee does something wrong or breaks a flagrant rule is to jump on them and be like, you're fired or, you know, yell at them. But, you know, that's that's really not the best way to handle it. You, you need to, you know, take it down a notch, be calm, talk things through. And, and that's always the best way. And you can, that can translate to any job that you do, Jordan. Well, you've done a really good job explaining what it's like to work for out of spec. So, <laughs> uh, Tom, we've been friends for a long time. It's fun to have you on the podcast. I know a lot of your background. Can we talk about Mini E, Active E, the early BMW days? Because let's just talk about BMW for a second. BMW was arguably the ones pushing for electric mobility or at least electric mobility research almost harder than anyone. They had really good pilot programs. They had a really good car with the i3 in terms of an engineering standpoint, and then they let it all go. And only up until now are we seeing finally the next electric car after eight years, nine years, something like that from the yeah. i3. So, so how did BMW get so into EVs? Why did they stop? And why are they back? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, and, and I know a lot about this. Um, I was, you know, as I mentioned, I was, I was, I applied to be in the mini program. I was accepted. You had to live in either New York or New Jersey or, uh, or California. The, it was the pilot program. There's about 500 cars in the U S it was only on the coasts. And, and I was lucky that I was in an area 
that was supported the program. So I got the mini E and well, uh, you were right down the street from Woodcliffe Lake from the headquarters. Exactly. That's that. And I didn't know that when I filled out the application, I, mean, I could have been sitting in Colorado filling out the application, but I mean, it would have filtered you out. You had to live in a certain area. So, you know, I got the car and um, I started blogging about it. Uh, and, uh, and I never thought I could, would, would blog, but it just seemed like the right thing to do. I wanted to tell people these electric cars are freaking awesome. Like we should be driving them. And, uh, it BMW noticed that, um, people were reading my blogs. I started to get, um, some press. I was in the New York times, the wall street journal, the, you know, some of the major publications about this guy's driving an electric car, even though there were other people driving the car, uh, I got a lot of attention because I was blogging about it. I was very vocal. I didn't mind going and, and speaking my mind and talking about it. So BMW then kind of, I was like an unofficial brand ambassador. And they would take me to all these events all around the world. And um, I flew me to Germany. I, I met board directors and all this stuff. And so it gave me a real look behind the curtain of what was going on at BMW. I used to go up to Woodcliffe Lake all the time, Kyle, with the program managers, with the, with the techs, like if there was a problem with my mini E and those things always broke down. Um, you know, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was like a Frankenstein car put together with parts from, you know, all different uh, places. BMW had some of it, AC propulsion had the drive, you know, so um, they, it was assembled really quickly. Um, so I got to meet all the technicians. I got to know everybody at BMW. Um, and then uh, after the, the mini E program was done, BMW made the active E, which is a one series electric, like a 135 that they converted to fully electric. And I was the first person to get uh, an active E. There was a big handover ceremony because that time I was really, you know, very deeply involved in BMW's program. Big handover. The president of BMW handed Were the me the active keys. E only U.S. market, or did was it a global program? No, it, it was global. It was global. And, yeah. and they the made first one. They, they made eleven hundred of them. Yeah, wow. uh, so they made double the amount of they made the mini E's, and and uh, and and I got the very first one. So I am the very first. This will never change. Retail customer to take possession of an electric BMW. So, um, yeah, and then that, that's not, go, that's not going away. Legend um, among us. Yeah. Well, so, you were in the welt. I was walking around the museum once and I just looked on the wall. I'm like, well, there's Tom yeah. on the wall. They had this whole section of, on e-mobility and they had this section carved out just me because I did documentaries with BMW. If you ever look up online, it's called the billion dollar car. I'm in a, I'm in a full hour long documentary on the electric, on, on BMW's electric vehicle efforts. Um, I did a whole bunch of these series of uh, it was like a documentary series also. And there were some really cool people in it, like M Melissa Meyer from Yahoo, um, uh, uh, Buzz Aldrin. Uh, they had some really cool people. And I had like an episode where I was talking about my experience with electric cars. And, and the I remember watching like, that in period yeah. before I ever met you being like, this is really cool. Yeah, it was good. It was, it was a really cool series. So, and this goes to Kyle talking about, you know, how BMW get ahead. So back in, I, it was, this was, I think around 2006, BMW uh, had this focus group called Project I, and they put a whole bunch of people together, like thought leaders, not just automotive people. They rented this office, I think like in New York City, and they put a whole bunch of people together and said, tell us what the future of mobility is going to be. We, we want to know. And, and, and so after months of like, you know, this, this, this team working on this all together, you know, they, they, they came out and said, you know, electric, connected, 
you know, um, uh, you know, a sustainable, all the stuff and everything. So BMW at that point said, okay, we need to make an electric car. Um, wh what's the easiest way to do it? Well, we can get these mini Cooper gliders, um, you know, from the factory and, and, and put to get cobbled together an electric powertrain. Let's get them on the road really quickly. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get feedback from the, 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 the participants. And that's another reason why BMW included me and everything. I used to like write reports and send them to, to, to BMW. And like the board of directors used to send me handwritten letters back. Um, I was in BMW's, I think, 2011 annual report. You know how all companies send out an annual report? It's like four, like 200 pages thick. In the middle, uh, it might even have been the middle when you open it up. There were three <laughs> pages with just me in their annual wow. report. It was so it was so cool about talking about the future of electric. So, you know, so they're on this path now. They said, okay, we're going to make our first car in 2014. It's going to be a city car. It's called the Med Mega City Car. And, uh, and we're learning with the with the i with the mini e and then the active e the active e actually had all the components in it that was going to go in the i3 all the stuff that went in the mini e was just third party cobbled together they didn't use anything from that car in future what cars. charger was in the mini e like on like uh like plug because this is before j1772 before j1772 yeah it was a plug made by odu i have one in my garage still it was just this round plug it almost looked a little bit like the initial roadster plug but it's not it's different um and there was all kind of certification issues with that which i don't want to get into but it led to a delay in the mini program because bmw couldn't get the charging stations uh, uh certified by local when we were installing these electric car charging stations in our garages, the, the local inspectors were failing them. They were failing everyone's because they were like, like, you're not going to fuel your car in, your, in a garage. You know what I mean? And, and, and BMW had to put the charging station together because there, there really weren't any charging stations. So they hired Clipper Creek at the time to, to provide the box. But then they got the cable from ODU and the whole thing wasn't UL certified. The cable was and the box was. But once you put it together, it wasn't. So it led to these all these delays. And some people even left the program because they couldn't charge their car. Um, and I mean, that's early days problems, you know. And um, so you got to do a review on that. Yeah, I, I, I wish I still had my original charger. It was a Clipper Creek charger. After that program, the charging station, I, I took the cable off. I still have the cable. And I put on a cable with a J1772 to repurpose it. So, you know, but uh, I still have that, the original ODU connector. It was it was pretty cool. Um, but uh, so then it went to the Active-E. That was a two and a half year program led to the i3. So um, what happened was BMW had plans on just accelerating after the i3 and i8. I mean, there was going to be an i5, you know, an i7, all this stuff. Um, but now, fast forward to about 2015, about a year after the i3 came out, there was a change in leadership at BMW. Rothefer, um took stepped down, who was um, very pro electric vehicle, um, and um, God, what was his name? Uh, the, I can't remember Krieger? the Is it Henry, um, no it begins with an H. Uh, um, Harold Kruger. Kruger took over. Yeah, Kruger. And, yeah. yeah, Kruger. I'm sorry, and. Uh, so um, from what I got gathered from my insiders and in, on, uh, on uh, uh, at BMW and people that had left the company, there was tremendous pressure on Kruger to back step back pedal on electrification. As soon as he took over, there was like sides on the board of directors and within the company. And um, people pressured him and said, 
you know, because it's all political. You know, these board of directors, it's, you know, I'll vote with you or for you, you know, but I want things from you. And literally it came down to a few people going to to, to Kroger and telling them, look, um, you're going to backpedal on electrification or you're going to be a lame duck CEO. We're not going to give you any support. We're not, you know, and and they were feeling pressure from the investors because don't you have to understand billions of dollars were being poured into BMWI, the carbon fiber, all that stuff. I mean, BMW went way out on a limb and the investors were getting anxious. They were spending billions. The cars weren't selling well, you know, and so they they pulled back and they basically kicked the can down the road for one generation. A generation of cars is about five uh, life cycles, about five years. So instead of getting the cars in 2016, 2017, Kyle, the next generation after the I3, when did we get them? 2022, 2023. And that's exactly what happened. And um, when that decision was made to backstep, all the program directors from BMWI quit. They, they all left. Henrik Wanders, um, uh, uh, Karsten Breitfeld, uh, Dr. Kranz, Uli Kranz, they all left and went. And now they're, they're still in e-mobility they're all over the place. Wanders is leading Audi's electrification um, Carson Brightfield's the CEO of Faraday Future. Um, Dr. Krantz, he, he went and started Canoe, but he left Canoe now and he works at either Google or Apple. I forget one of those, um, one of those in their like secret electric vehicle programs. Um, so that's what happened. That's, that's how they lost their edge. They, they got cold feet because they were pouring money into it and they weren't seeing the results. And they said, let's kick the can down the road. Just one generation. We'll focus on plug-in hybrids. Because in 2022, 2023, that's when the market's going to be ripe. And, well, they're not totally wrong because now we're ready for EVs and everyone's excited. The problem is with BMW now, I think, is, you know, they, they just have to they have to explain the shift. They've been saying for the last five years now that we're going to make one chassis that's combustion, hybrid, mild hybrid plug-in hybrid, hydrogen, and battery electric. And now they're saying, oh, now the, the future is ground up chassis EVs like the iX, but then also we have the i4, which is still this modular thing. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they we're in sort of like the turbulence of their decisions because we're everything's a little bit out of place. But I will say, I, and you, you and I have both driven i4 and iX now, awesome cars, really good. They drive great. I was shocked with the i4. I really was expecting it to disappoint me because, you know, it's on this variable platform that supports, like as you said, everything. Uh, and somehow they pulled it off, Kyle. The, the thing the thing drives great. Um, but but I'm going to tell one more thing. You said that they went from the modular platform to saying, oh, now um, it needs a dedicated platform. It's worse than that. In 2010, 2011, they were – the most vocal group saying it has to be a dedicated platform. So they went from saying that to saying, no, we can do it modularly. And now they're saying, no, it's got to be dedicated. So, you know, you know, they, they flip flop three times now, not just twice. Um, and that's one of the things that when I saw their new modular platform, they announced it at the LA auto show. I want to say 2015, my jaw dropped. I remember looking up at the screen as they did their announcements and it's saying our new platforms group, it's going to support this, this, and this. And I was just saying to myself, what is going on here? You know, and, um, you know, it is, uh, you know, 
it, 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 it is what it is. And they, and they, they came back to it. They knew all along you needed to have a dedicated platform, but they can't say that on one hand and make the platforms modular on the other. So, you know, but they found their way. They're coming back. Yeah. So do you think they took the right approach waiting or do you think they should have launched these cars the prior generation? So I don't think it's a terrible idea to, 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 to wait, but they shouldn't have gone seven years without a new electric car. And you know what happened in those seven years? Model 3 ate their lunch. Three series sales are getting crushed by Model 3. So here's Imagine what explaining I, that to someone at BMW 10 years ago. Yeah, he, here's what I would have done. And I, listen, I, I certainly don't want to run an auto company. Don't think I'm, I'm qualified to. But if they were going to do anything between late 2013 when they released the i3 and i8 and 2022 now maybe in 2015 or 2016 they could have put out an i4 type of a vehicle a model 3 long range sports sedan and that would have that would have been enough just one vehicle they didn't have to come out with a bunch of them but it would have been enough to show what they can do and maybe it would have taken the edge off the beating they're taking from Tesla and they are taking a beating from Tesla. I think more than no almost anyone else. I agree 100%. A Model 3 is identical to the 3 Series buyer profile, I would yeah. say, in general. Yeah. A little bit tech focused, a little performance focused. You want a nice car, medium sized sedan. You'd always buy a 3 Series. 100%. And now you always buy a Model 3. And you and I have both bought two Model 3s. Yeah. And, you know, here we are. I used to drive a 3 Series and I switched to a Model 3. I, I have a friend of mine who's had who's probably bought five, not bought he leases, he leases, takes like two year leases, probably five M3s. Okay. Yeah. And two summers ago, um I, I was at a party. It was actually um his brother's daughter's graduation, and we're I'm friends with the whole family. And I had just gotten my first uh model three. And uh he's like, you know, can we go for a ride? I was like, Yeah, of course. I hop in, drive the thing. And um he takes it and I could just see, you know, he's stepping on it, he's backing off, stepping on it, you're getting thrown back in the seat, and he's getting hooked, and he's getting hooked, and, and then we get out of it, and I'm like, so what'd you think? He's like, it's freaking incredible. He goes, he goes, I, I, I never would have thought it was it was going to be that. He kind of seemed stunned. So his this was in like uh, June or July. His lease was up in September on his Model 3, uh, his uh, M3, and he was going to go get another one. So in July or August, it's like two months before his lease is up, he goes to, he buys a Model 3 uh, performance, gets a Model 3 performance. He's, he's hooked. He calls me up. He goes, he goes, you did it to me. He goes, I just ordered a Model 3 performance. He goes, the thing, he goes, I can't stop thinking about it since I drove it with you. So he, he doesn't need two cars. He doesn't have enough room in his driveway. So he goes and he returns the Model 3, the M3, two months early to the dealership in which he knows the people. Cause he goes every two years, gets a new one. And he's like, you know, I'm, I'm bringing it back. And they're like, you know, oh, you know, your lease isn't up yet. And he's like, yeah, I don't have room in the driveway. He goes, I just, just bought a, a Tesla. And they're like, Oh really? He's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be renting it anymore. And he goes, you know, get, let me talk to the sales manager. So he talks to the sales manager um, who he never really liked. He liked his, his salesmen, not really the sales manager. They're always the bad guys, you know? And, uh, and he just goes to him. He goes, he goes, dude, I just want to tell you, you're effed, you know, but he said the whole thing. And the guy's like, what? He goes, he goes, drive a Tesla model three performance. And you'll know what I'm talking about. He goes, you're effed. He goes, have a good day. And he left. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, this only happens yeah. in New Jersey, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, that's amazing. And it's so true, though. The Model 3 truly uh, disrupted 3 Series sales. I mean, also, there's been the rise of the SUV. So X3 has taken some of those sales. But now Model Y is stealing X3's thunder. I don't know. I just feel like BMW was hurt the most by Tesla in terms of market share in their target audience. And it's it's a big wake-up call for the Germans. It's scary for the Germans too, because one in three Germans work in the auto industry and there's so much passion and brand loyalty behind these giant companies, whether it's Daimler or Volkswagen Group or BMW. And, you know, even spending time in Europe recently, we were just in Munich, which is BMW's home for almost a month. Uh, there are a million Teslas around and that's like a big middle finger. If your own home country is rolling in Teslas, it's pretty wild. Oh, you're muted there, Tom. Wait till Giga Berlin opens up and the trucks are just shipping them things everywhere. You know, it's going to be that it's going to be that much more painful. You know, it really so, is. You know, we we you and I do a podcast every week called the Inside EVs podcast with two awesome co-hosts. It's a really good show. Uh, we get really into the nitty gritty. But I think we've, we've seen a lot of people responding to you and I personally, because I think you and I share a very similar viewpoint on the cars themselves, actually. And a lot of people will either say you guys are Tesla haters or we're Tesla fanboys. But in reality, I think we're kind of down the middle, especially when compared with most other people reviewing cars. What what, do you, what would you say to that? A hundred percent. I think you and I are right down the middle. And the funny thing is the, you know, the people that love Tesla view us as Tesla haters and, and the people that don't like Tesla view us as Tesla fanboys because they're way out here. You know, we're here. So their perspective of us is to the left or to the right. So, you know, we are Tesla fanboys and Tesla haters, uh, depending on where you're standing. And, you know, I get that on Twitter all the time. I get blocked by the, the Tesla Q. I get blocked by, you know, the Tesla, um, the, the, the Tesla hater. Everybody blocks me because of Tesla. And, you know, it's so weird when you get, um, you see like, you know, this tweet, you know, this can't be viewed because you've been blocked or whatever. And I'm like, like, I, I, I think I'm like one of the most straight guys there out there, like without being controversial and not taking yeah. sides. And, you know, and like for me to see so many people blocking me, I'm like, like, really? Like, you know, what? I, I want to be able to message them and say, I'm just curious. Why did you block me? You know, but you, you can't do that once they block, you, you know? Well, I think it, I, on one hand, look, we, we are critical of Tesla when they deserve it. Yeah. When they met, when they, they have to up, be, when they release terrible software for their car, when they have quality issues. I mean, your Model 3 had a giant, I could put my hand in the back of your Model 3 when you took delivery of it. <laughs> Remember that? That the rear hatch was so bad. So and, bad. And, and when it would lower, it would go like bump, bump, bump. You were one lock, of the first you know? power rear tailgate. Yeah. And they obviously was. hadn't had it figured out by then. No, it was I got mine was so early that I didn't get the new headlights because right. it was when they just started or they hit steering wheel. They when they just started making the 2021s. And 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 how about when I reviewed I got uh the a model Y for the range test? It was one of the first model Ys to come out. And I'm doing the range test and the speaker falls off inside <laughs> yeah, the car. The interior right. <laughs> speaker, it's dangling by a wire as I'm driving. I'm like, it's a brand new car. Right. And, and you and have to report honest, like, that. You have I don't know why that's an issue to point these things out. They're object like it's there's no question. The speaker fell off. That's trash. Why would you do that? But on the other hand, it's like what other electric car is going to give you the best charging experience uh, in terms of ease of use 
the best navigation system to route you through these chargers. And honestly, the best app, the best vertical integration, the best buying experience. In Fun my to opinion, drive. Yeah. yeah, they drive so well. That's why I've owned two of them. You know, I could yeah. have any electric car out there, you know, within my price range. And, uh, you know, the last two that I've bought are Teslas, uh, you know, but the next two I buy won't be. But uh, Right. So because we're getting close to the end, though, but can we talk about the electric pickup truck craze? And I want your take on this because you need a pickup truck. Genuinely, you have one, you're a user. You're going to be putting this thing for snow plowing, for hauling stuff around. I see some major issues with electric pickup trucks, but I also see some major benefits where for fleet use, for vehicles that you know exactly what you're going to do, you will sell every single one you can make and they're perfect. For me and for you as personal use, we might have huge difference in driving range. We might have, you know, different temperature conditions. How how are you planning on living with an electric truck? So yeah, that's a great question. And I think one that a lot of people would, would be interested in, in, in hearing the answer to, because, you know, my take on it is this first range of electric trucks, say the F-150 Lightning, the Rivian, the Silverado when it comes up. I, I think they're, they're really good, really cool electric vehicles, electric trucks. That said, they will not satisfy, you know, every electric truck owner's needs flat out, especially, you know, some in middle America, like yourself, you live out in Colorado, very rural where, you know, you can easily just drive a couple hundred miles in a day to pick up a few things. That's not the case here in New Jersey. You know, you've lived in this area. Everything's pretty close. Very rarely do I ever need to go more than a hundred miles. So, you know, I think people have to evaluate their own use case for it. Um, and it's not going to work for a lot of people. Now, the Rivian, I put in a different box because they're telling you this isn't a work truck. Don't buy this if you need to, you know, haul lumber and, and tow a trailer, you know, because, you know, for a job site in Texas and you're in Oklahoma, they're, they're telling you don't do this. Ford's not really saying that. Ford's saying, you know, yeah, this this can, you know, it's a work truck also. So you have to you have to do a little homework and understand there's going to be a lot of uses that will not be able to be satisfied with this first generation pickup truck. Do I think by the end of this decade, we'll have pickup trucks that will be able to do anything and be able to recharge because the infrastructure will be so much better than it is now? Yeah, I do. I, I, th I think by the end of this decade, um, you, your needs, the needs of the guy who needs to tow a, you know, a 5,000 pound trailer, you know, 500 miles once a month. Um, I think the vehicles will be able to satisfy their needs also. Um, but, you know, this is first, first gen stuff. And for first gen stuff, as far as I'm concerned, the F-150 Lightning and the Rivian, both of which I've driven and I've driven the Rivian for about 200 miles. I've driven in the F-150 Lightning. Both of those trucks, I think, are damn good first, uh, uh, you know, efforts for pickup trucks. And um, they'll satisfy my needs. Maybe not yours. You know, we, we have different driving styles, but that's okay. Because even think about how many pickup trucks. We buy 3 million pickup trucks a year here in the U.S. If if 2% of the people that buy them, you know, or, or, or you know, to, you know, if it can fit their needs, how many, how many vehicles that's more than what we'll be able to make this. Well, that's, that's my two. point is, is, and this is why I brought this up because my needs aren't everybody's needs. And this guy's needs in Wyoming are definitely not my needs. Yeah. And so there are, I think enough use cases, more than enough use cases mm -hmm. to sell every single one of these electric trucks with huge wait lists. And Rivian's mm -hmm. proving that right now. They have like a three year wait almost 
you want one. Now, granted, they're not making that many, but I think Ford's going to pump these things out. I think GM's going to pump these things out. And with that, we'll see them out on the road. I don't know. We're going to see the Silverado EV for the first time at the Chicago Auto Show here in a couple days and ask some GM engineers about it. Um, I'm really excited for the electric truck thing. Personally, I think a Rivian's actually probably the best vehicle I could own for myself. Uh, just does everything I need. Probably the SUV, but I kind of like the truck because the camp kitchen. And um, which I ordered on mine. I have the camp kitchen. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, I have to. Oh, we gotta. We gotta do a road show. We yeah. gotta drive around, do some cookouts, and oh yeah, make, make a lot. Right, Jordan? We, yes. We, you know. Rivian across America and and do some cool fun with that. You know, I'll have both trucks for a certain period of time too. So we could, you know, we could figure out doing some kind of cool road trip or something you know, with, with both of the trucks. There's something about having quality material, like with the Rivian camp kitchen, for example, the stuff in the camp kitchen is such good quality. It makes you want to cook like, like this house I just bought my first time having a gas stove. I was like, I don't cook enough. I have a gas stove now. I need to cook more because <laughs> it just makes a difference. But I can't wait to like try things out of the Rivian camp kitchen. Of course, me and Kyle had popcorn. To make pizza in different places. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to practice that. That's tough doing on a flat surface with no heat coming from the top. Hmm. You know, I have to figure out how to do how to, how to make the the cheese melt. You know, so we'll figure oh, it out. I got we'll, a better we'll idea. We design a pizza oven for the yeah. kitchen. That would, rails. You, hey, you, you might you might have something there. You might have something. People definitely want that. Well, we've been Jordan and I have been thinking about making uh, some sort of accessories that we sell throughout a spec for Rivian stuff. So we've we have all this recovery gear that's arriving that we're testing out. Sort of have easy off roading because we're super into off roading, overlanding kits and things like this. But. Rivian, by far, super interesting truck. By the way, we just heard back from them. We should be testing one here in the next two to three weeks. Oh, uh, awesome. So I'm really looking forward to this. I just got the email while we were on the call. And awesome. uh, so that that's going to be really freaking cool. I have no idea what spec or anything like that. Um, I think to finish it off, Tom, we talk all the time. There's an endless <laughs> list of stuff that we're doing. Everything I thought we were going to talk about, which was Ionic 5 testing, we haven't even touched on. So <laughs> for like a couple minutes. Cause I know you got to go. Yeah, it's sure. your birthday. We don't want to hold you up. Can we just talk about what you've experienced with your Hyundai testing and we can compare and trust what we found in the same time? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I did the 70 mile an hour highway range test. Um, and I have the limited with the 20 inch wheels and the 255, 45 tires. Um, so, you know, it was a little different than you did on the SEL with the 19 inch. Uh, and I pulled, uh, this isn't even out yet. Um, so, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're speaking, well, talking about it here. Won't go up for another week almost. So almost. Might yeah. Be out by then. Yeah. The, uh, the inside EVs one's going to go up tomorrow. Crap. I got to write that review. <laughs> uh, the, the, yeah. So, um, uh, uh, and, um, so I, I finished up with only 195 miles, 2.7 miles per kilowatt hour. Um, and it was, it was cold though. You know, I started out in the morning, it was 20 degrees. It got up to 36 or 37 degrees. So this was a real cold weather test. I did DC fast charge it before the range started. So I, I warmed up the battery best I could. Uh, I had the heat on, on 68 degrees, fan setting one. One was able to keep me cool because even though it was cold, we had full sun. And with the panoramic glass roof, yeah. it was it was keeping me nice and warm. So I didn't really, I wasn't wasting a lot of, I think, um, the, you know, the ionic tells you what your your energy breakdown was. I, it was three percent for for heating. 
So that's not, that's really not that much. Um, you know, it's, it's about as low as you're going to get. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think I hit 0% state of charge at like 290, uh, 193 or 194, 193. And, uh, I, I cranked out two more miles when I pulled off the highway, but you know what? I was getting no pedal response. It was just a sponge. And I maybe could have squeezed, eked out another mile because the car. I don't know. I feel like once it gets really spongy, that car's almost out. It's, it, it really is. And I noticed what, and you didn't notice the same thing. We talked about this. After mm. I got down to 5%, man, that car has nothing. It's got nothing in it. And most other EVs that I've tested, at least, it gives you more clo closer to zero, except, except the Polestar. I was Polestar. about to say, the yeah. Polestar, Polestar is the Volvo. worst defender here. Yeah, yeah the <laughs> Polestar is the worst. The Polestar, actually, I'm driving along on the highway at 70 miles an hour with like 5% state of charge, and the car starts slowing down. Yep. I'm on the highway, <laughs> and I'm like, just, I can't get off the highway. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I'm like, put the hazards on, you know, wave out, put your arm out the window, like, pass me, you know. I'm <laughs> going 40 miles an hour on the New Jersey Turnpike. They really you know, like out every last drop out of XC40 recharge and Polestar too, just to yeah. get some range out of it. Yeah. They're very inefficient. Yeah. But that, but the, I, I found the Ionic to be under 5%. I didn't like driving it. I would tell Ionic five owners, you know, plan on, think of 5% as zero. Um, yeah. And, but uh, I think when we, so I've been analyzing the charging curve and I should have a video coming out tomorrow after my, because I've charged this car multiple times, zero yeah. to full under different. And conditions. I did it three times. Yep. And, and each time it's been different for me. So nothing is consistent. I called Hyundai engineers yesterday, actually. And, and well, their PR team, and they spoke to engineers because I sent them a list of questions. And I said, here's what I'm experiencing. Here's what Tom is experiencing. And here's what I've experienced previously. And this car just got a 35 gigabyte software update. And they claim after talking to one person at Hyundai that it makes no difference to the battery uh, and thermals and to anything like that. But I find that really hard to believe because our cars are exhibiting such drastic difference in behavior in similar conditions. We're talking 10 to 20 degrees ambient difference, not night and day. I mean, we're seeing where the car disconnects and run, runs rear-wheel drive in sport mode. And what they were saying, and I haven't driven it because I'm going to spend more time with it, was that at light power loads, it still might just use the rear motor, but it it keeps the front motor connected. I'm like, okay, that kind of makes sense. So anyway, uh, you know, basically it's a very thermal dependent car. It's very temperamental to get the best out of it. And it's perfect for the EV nerds because you're always playing the car to get the right stuff here, the right yeah. stuff there. It's, it's a mind game. You're driving the car to get the most out of it. I still think cars like a Model 3, like a Mustang Mach-E, like an ID4, are just easier for your general public to maximize the capabilities of the car. I'm not saying they have more capability than the Ionic 5, though. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, uh, oh, one sec, Jordan. Uh, talking about the charging curve, mine was very consistent. I did it three times, once 0 to 100, one, and two times 10 to 80. And it took me exactly 30 the, – the, the, it took me exactly 30 minutes to charge from 10 to 80%. Now, it's supposed to be 18 minutes – and it, actually the charging session, cause I, you know, I got the report from Electro America. It was like eight seconds different from, from 10% to, to, to 80%. And did you I'm notice like, the same? Exact same. Really? Exact same. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I start off, it, it jumps up and then it immediately comes back down and then hold, holds that. And then it went up a little bit and held it for the whole time and then dropped down towards the end. It's, it's a weird curve. It doesn't look like, I had a curve. doesn't look like anything 
any other electric vehicle charging curve that we have. Yeah, but what's interesting is because it's different. So when I charged EV6 in Europe, which is, I, I confirmed with the guys, the exact same battery pack in Ionic 5, it was doing 151 kilowatts at 80%. And this time I could oh only get God. 110 kilowatts at 80%, but we saw a peak of 240. And so, or 236, I think we saw a peak yeah. of, uh, which is cars rated for 235. On the previous time when I charged uh, Ionic 5, it was down in the, on the Mexican border for the first drive. And that I saw 240 kilowatt peak and it overheated the battery and then thermal throttled. But I'm like, I know there's more in it up top. Yeah. So with Ionic 5, I think the best way to drive the car is to plug it in between 10 and 15% state of charge to not give it a huge current load down low and then just kind of rip it from charger to charger, charge it up to 60, 70%, sure. and then back down to 10 to 15 and keep it in that middle. It's not a car that benefits from going to zero because it can hold such a high charge rate deep in the pack. 151 at 80% is insane. That's nuts. I didn't get anything near that at 80%. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it tailed way down by, by the time it was at 80%. Yeah, I, I'm actually going to try to put those charts together this weekend and maybe get that video up next week but um yeah it was it was consistent but it was consistently disappointing and i think it's just what we talked about the fact that this car is really sensitive to temperature yeah and uh you know listen um everybody doesn't live in miami or uh or, or or san diego you know i mean half this country the u.s at least you know gets cold in the winter and yep. you know people have to understand that you know 10 to 80 percent 18 minutes is freaking awesome but you're not going to get that all the time we have to communicate that to the people right and, and uh, there's also like we should share best practices on how to at least maximize your time but it is a shame that the car launched in winter and it launched without plug-in charge and it launched without on-route battery preconditioning two inexcusable items in my opinion eqs launched with plug-in charge maki launched with plug-in charge a year ago yeah. like what, what are they doing over there they built and, a great car, but it's not integrated well. And and they're not, I don't think they're doing a good job with the dealers either. The one dealership Terrible. that I went to to talk to about it, they didn't know the car comes with two years free charging on Electrify America um, network. So like, well, we have even worse than that. We we have uh, a lot of dealers charging over sticker, which Hyundai has no control over. No, the they, they, they don't. Yeah. As you know. But um, also just like our, our friends, I have some friends that work at a Hyundai dealer in North Carolina. They got like, 40 to 80 of them. I don't know the exact number, but I know. Total. Oh, you know what? You have to tell me the name of that dealership because the funny thing is I bumped into an old friend today and mm -hmm. and I had the Ionic 5 and he was like, the Ionic 5, he goes, how'd you get that? He goes, I, I want to buy one. He goes, but all the dealers are charging over MSRP. And I said, a friend of mine tells me there's a dealer in North Carolina that's selling them at sticker. And he's like, yep. please. He goes, he gave me his email. He said, give me the name of that dealership. So sure. it's text, Johnson text, Hyundai. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll send it to you. Johnson yeah, Hyundai, I'm gonna they have so many cars with one level two charger. Yeah. And so they just got dumped on with these things. And they're like, you know, they're like, we're trying to charge everything. We're driving them over to Electrify America. We're only getting 30 to 50 kilowatt charging because, you know, it's right down the street and it's cold yeah. out. So I'm like on the phone with my friends there who's like charging the car. I'm like, you need to drive the piss out of this car on the way to a charger. They have 12 volt batteries dying. So the whole cars are dead. And they yeah. thought that they bricked the whole thing. I'm like, no, just jump the 12 volt, then yeah. plug in a charger. And then they got some cars back alive. Yeah. But they're just no, no dealers equipped to handle this car. There's they zero have training. They have to get ready. You know, there's two dealers. One of the things I do is I advise dealerships on uh, DC fast charging also. And I have a contract with two dealers here in New Jersey that are both installing like 
a bank of 150 kilowatt DC fast chargers wow. at the dealership. This, this, wow. it's a big dealership group. And in two of their locations, they're spending half a million dollars um, each uh, on upgrading their infrastructure. That's not for the equipment. Like it's crazy. The money. I don't that know how they could justify the ROI for, on that. I know. Well, that it's a big dealership group and they realize that electric is the future. So they're going to have, um, 150 kilowatt DC fast chargers and then a row of level twos to, to slow charge the cars, but they're, they're going to let the customers use the DC fast chargers. They want people on their lot, charging the car, talking to them about electric vehicles. They want to, they want to use this as like a, a whole, you know, marketing plan. That's and, perfect. Uh, you know, you know, yeah, you know, listen, um, you know, you pull off the highway in your Ionic five, whatever, and you're there for half an hour. Um, uh, one of them is a Ford dealership. And you're going to walk around. You're looking at Mustang Mach-E's. You know what? Maybe your lease is coming up. Maybe you say, you know what? You know what? I get, like to give these guys my business. They let me charge here. This Mach-E looks cool. You know, so uh, yep. deal, dealerships can use this. You know, they, they have to be innovative. And you know, electrification is going to is going to is going to really take a sledgehammer to how they have been doing business for a hundred years. So they have to get innovative and, and maybe charging is one way that they can be innovative, you know, and uh, they have to consider that. It's kind of brilliant because, you know, people more and more are starting to plan their charging and then they don't only plan where the charger is, but what's around it. What can I do? And yeah, if it's at a dealer lot, they can walk around the lot. Maybe they are car people like us. And they're like, oh, what, what's this interesting thing over here in the corner? Oh, it's for sale. Oh, look at that price. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it Come does. in, have a cup of coffee. The dealerships yeah. are going to, are gonna <laughs> when they see people charging, like a, a salesperson is going to come out and say, do you want to come inside? Have a seat, you know, grab it. We have a snack area, get a cup of coffee, have a snack. Like that's how you build, you know, customer support, you know, is, is being friendly, you know, not... I remember the early days of EVs when I used to go to a dealership to plug into their level two because I had to get home with the Mini or the Active if it was like a Nissan dealership because they all they were like the first ones to put in charging stations at their dealerships. I had like general managers running out and yelling at me, get that thing off my lot. Like, uh, you know, so I learned to always ask. But, you know, they looked, they missed an opportunity to come out, be, you know, talk to me you know, t- talk about your leaf, you know, maybe I'm going to get a leaf, you know, so it's the dealerships are going to have to evolve their business model. And I think being charger friendly is going to help them sell more cars. Yeah, definitely. Well, Tom, we really appreciate you coming on and taking time out of your, your birthday and uh, just nerding out with EV and electrification. And I mean, we could obviously talk for hours. We'll have to I can't have believe you back it was on. an hour. <laughs> yeah, that went no. fast. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, but yeah, you know, I'd love to come out to uh, New Jersey sometime and get some proper pizza and stuff. And you know, <laughs> I'll have to meet you in person someday. Well, I have to say, I was I was one of the lucky ones. I got to go to Tom's restaurant before it shut down, and I remember it was great, good food, and uh, yeah, that was a good time. <laughs> Nice. Well, yeah. And I, I want to let everyone know to go follow Tom at Tom Malog on Twitter. And uh, of course, we're at out of spec and, uh, you know, see what we're doing. We're spreading the word. I mean, we've been spreading the word for years. Tom, especially. It's got all the history. And Tom, we will definitely have to have you back on again sometime soon because there's infinitely more wisdom to share with the world. Absolutely. You know, just uh, give me a call. I'll jump on anytime. Uh, this, this is a lot of fun. Love Love talking with people that know electric cars. You know, I'm usually the one talking at people because people are just asking me questions. <laughs> so it's good to get in a room with like, you know, and, and we all just talk about the stuff and it's not me just answering questions, but uh, you guys are a blast. And, uh, you know, 
this is great that you're starting this podcast. So I, I expect to be a frequent guest over here. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, guys. we'll see everyone next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.